and the firefighters literally were, were, were passing one to another to another down the stairwell uh, to get them out. The aftermath of a deadly residential fire, a community in shock, and the dramatic efforts of emergency workers to save the people inside. Good evening. We'll bring you that story in just a moment. But first, if you're still feeling anxious about the long lines in Pearson from the summer, you likely aren't alone. Well, Canada's busiest airport says it has put all those cancellations and delays in the rear view. Cue the holiday travel season. CTV's Austin Delaney is at Pearson tonight as it gets ready for one of the most hectic times of the year, Austin. Well, no doubt if you flew through Pearson this summer, you probably still have a bad taste in your mouth. Delayed flights, cancelled flights, delays in customs. Well, things are better. The airlines have stepped up. They've hired more people here. And they also have a couple of apps that they say are going to make things much smoother. Home for the holidays. The Christmas rush at Pearson about to begin. Passengers saying today, security and customs, a smooth ride. It was, it was okay. It wasn't busy. It was very easy to go through the immigration. It was good. I think it was great this morning. It's quite seamless. Travelers did not find it quite so seamless this summer when they faced long lineups to get through security on the way out and to pass through customs on the way into Canada. The ArriveCan app allows you to speed up the process coming in by making your customs declaration online up to 72 hours in advance bypassing the lengthy electronic questionnaire at the airport, sending you straight to the Border Express line. You still have to visit a machine, but we give you express access to those machines and after the machine, express access to the officer that you present your, your paper to. But you will have already answered your declaration online in ArriveCan. Half a minute saved on a kiosk. Multiply that by the approximately 20,000 travelers we see here through Terminal 1 in the last couple days per day, and you've got hours saved. During peak periods, those machines will be freed up much faster. CBSA says it also works in real time, adjusting staff to the ebb and flow of passenger arrivals. So we do that on a consistent basis, especially if we do see there's a convergence of flights all at one time. Good morning, ma'am. What's your final destination today? Departing international or domestic travelers can avoid long lineups at security by pre-booking a spot ahead on the YYZ Express app. And as you know, if you're flying out to the States, you go through the United States Customs here at Pearson. The United States Customs also has an app similar to the one we have where you can pre-declare and that'll speed up your process going through there. We're live at Pearson. I'm Austin Delaney. Thank you, Austin. Regardless whether it's the holiday season or the middle of summer, many commuters will agree riding the rocket can sometimes seem more like parking your backside on a bench. Well, tonight we've got some new data that supports that opinion. CTV Scott Lightfoot joins us now to explain. Scott. Well, Nathan, if you feel like your transit commute is getting longer, a new study says you're not wrong. An average of about four minutes longer over the past couple of years. The data from this study comes from a popular transit app, and it helps to illustrate exactly what transit riders around the globe and here in Toronto go through every day. For hundreds of thousands of people across the GTA, public transit is how they start and end the day. It's a nightmare, man. If I'm not on time, I'm always late. So I like to at least do it an hour early, <laughs> just so that way I'll be on time because TTC, you never know. A new report from the transit app Move It shows the average commute by public transit in Toronto, including walking, waiting, and riding, 
takes about 56 minutes each way. Uh, sometimes it is frustrating by the winter. Sometimes it's really long, but sometimes it could be quick. Most of the time it's long for me, though. Cities like New York and Washington had slightly longer commute times for transit riders, but Toronto was one of the best cities when it came to wait times. The average wait time for those trying to catch a bus, streetcar, subway or train was 12 minutes, shorter only in Vancouver and Montreal. When it comes to transit commute length, the average total distance traveled was 12.29 kilometers. The study also showed that 28% of Toronto commuters make no transfer on their daily ride and 42% of riders make up to two transfers. The information is drawn from users of the app. The company says that's more than 1.5 billion people around the world. What we did is we analyzed the uh, historical trip plans that our users have performed throughout the year. Uh, so we're talking about millions of records that we've analyzed, and those trip plans indicate how people actually uh, consume mobility in their cities. The data is now available to the public. Transit riders can see how their city compares with 98 other cities in 24 countries. Officials with the company hope it won't just be riders who take an active interest in these numbers. Policy uh, decision makers can actually learn hopefully something that would motivate them to make some changes or improvements to the way they're planning uh, future public transportation projects uh, or other improvements. So along with analyzing data from the trips, the app also surveyed users about their experience. When asked what would make people use public transportation more often, more than 25% of Toronto respondents said lower cost fares. Now, the app also surveyed people about their behavior around COVID. 20% of Toronto respondents said they use public transit less often than they did before the pandemic. But just over 60% said the pandemic has not changed how often they take the TTC. Reporting live on King Street, I'm Scott Lightfoot. Michelle, back to you. Thanks, Scott. Another allegation of discrimination pointed at the Toronto Police Association and fears of even more harassment. A follow-up to a CTV exclusive coming up. Police have arrested a man wanted for a pair of recent knife attacks. 21-year-old Matthew McLennan is accused of slashing two people in the face in separate incidents on Friday and on Sunday. Both victims are believed to be homeless. They've since been released from hospital, but police aren't saying whether they were targeted for that reason. There's a suspect. McLennan faces numerous charges, including aggravated assault. In Mississauga, police there are working to piece together the moments leading up to a morning pedestrian death. We are urging any motorists in the area that might have witnessed or seen uh, what happened or captured that on, on uh, dash cam to please contact investigators. A man was killed shortly before 7 on Courtney Park Drive in Edwards Boulevard. Police say he died at the scene. This is a commercial area with a number of manufacturing facilities nearby. The name and age of the victim have not been released. Also this morning, shortly after 9, a deadly head-on crash near Kipling and Steeles. The collision killed an elderly woman said to be in her 80s. A young boy about 2 years old was also injured. Police say the child was sent to a pediatric trauma center but is recovering and stable. Authorities are still investigating the cause of the crash. A tragic early morning fire in Toronto's Cabbage Town has killed one man and devastated a building housing resources for some of the city's most vulnerable. CTV's Janice Golding reports on what happened and how the community is reacting tonight. 
Shattered glass, soot-stained walls. This is the aftermath of a fatal fire that claimed the life of a man in his 40s and critically injured two others. It was quite disturbing. It looked like towering inferno. Amanda lives on the second floor right below where the fire broke out. My dog was barking and I went to open the door to try to get out and all the water was coming out so it wasn't safe for us to leave. At 1 a.m., Paul was also alerted by his dog. He rushed outside his residence, which is attached to the All Saints Church at Sherburn and Dundas, only to witness three other people being carried out. Well, that was pretty sad to see. They worked on one guy for about, uh, I'd say, about 25 minutes. Two firefighters were also injured, and a rescue effort officials say could have ended with many more casualties. Uh, the firefighters this morning uh, literally fought their way down <clears throat> through a hallway without any visibility. Uh, we're coming across individuals in the hallway that were trying to self-evacuate. Uh, that were completely overcome with smoke. So our firefighters were uh, at one point passing one victim to another down uh, to get them to safety. The damage now overwhelming. The third floor and much of the fourth are uninhabitable. The second floor flooded. Even the kitchen is unusable due to water damage. Given it's the holidays, it's Christmas time, that's going to be really, really hard for a lot of people. And it's a huge financial burden for us to be able to afford that. And while Good Samaritans try to pitch in, dropping off donations today. We just wanted to help in whatever way we could. Dozens of people have been displaced to temporary shelters with no real place to call home for the holidays. Janice Golding, CTV News. Police also looking into a troubling discovery in Toronto's East End tonight. Anti-Semitic graffiti sprayed across a sidewalk out front of a church. As CTV's Beth McDonnell explains, it's the latest example of a disturbing trend across the city. Outside this Mennonite church on Queen Street East, the discovery of anti-Semitic graffiti spray-painted on the sidewalk is not sitting well. It is uh, disgusting, disturbing, and very difficult to envision why someone would actually say things like this. The church says it first saw the offensive and hurtful words this morning and called police immediately. We at Toronto United Mennonite Church stand in solidarity with our Jewish community, with the community around us and our friends, and that we welcome everyone to our church. Toronto police say the graffiti has been reported as a hate crime and officers are investigating. We've had an explosion of Jew hatred in the last three months. Bernie Farber with the Canadian Anti-Hate Network says hate mongers love to see themselves on social media. And he's sadly not surprised to learn of the graffiti. He called this incident odd in that it harkens back to a time when people believed Jews kidnapped Christian children and ate their body parts. It's horrendous um, and that it, ex it expresses itself today on the streets of Toronto, really, I, I find it frightening. Um, and I find it uh, obviously, uh, you know, soul destroying in many ways. In 2021, Toronto Police's hate crime unit found the most targeted victim group in the city was the Jewish community, experiencing 56 hate crime occurrences, 22% of all reported hate crimes. After the Jewish community, the unit found the black community was the second most targeted victim group followed by the East and Southeast Asian and LGBTQ2S plus communities. Who wrote the vile messages on the sidewalk is not known. The church says it doesn't have external cameras. It's difficult to, for us to comprehend at least the mind that would say these kinds of things. So I would hope that we become more alert to the signs that people might be wanting to 
to uh, make statements like this. The Anti-Hate Network says along with leaders speaking out, more education is needed and people must be prosecuted for hate crimes. Beth McDonnell, CTV News. A live look high above the city tonight and look at that, the iconic landmark Casa Loma, the site hosting a number of activities for families this holiday season, both indoors and outside, where there is another cold evening ahead and stormy weather heading our way in the coming days. Lindsay Morrison is here with a look at the current conditions. It's not winter yet, not officially till next week, but it sure feels like it this week. It does, Michelle, and we're in for a little bit of a winter wallop a little bit later this week. More on that in just a moment, but first here's a look at the current temperatures. It feels chilly out there right now thanks to the winds, and boy oh boy was it a cold start to the day today. Some communities in Ontario into the minus 20s. That's the core temperature, not the wind chill. Here's a look at where we stand right now. Minus three degrees currently at Pearson Airport, forecasting an overnight low of minus seven, feeling more like minus 12. And we have this special weather statement in effect. This is ahead of Thursday's snowstorm. We'll detail everything you need to know and give you an idea of the timing of its arrival coming up in your forecast. For now, though, Nathan, over to you. All right. Thank you, Lindsay. We're learning of a new discrimination allegation against the Toronto Police Association. It's about a female police officer who claims she didn't receive tens of thousands of dollars in support her male colleagues would have gotten. John Woodward joins us now. And John, this is the second case like this you've covered this week. Yeah, Michelle, it's another case that alleges the sexist culture the Toronto Police Service says it's fighting is reflected in decisions at the Toronto Police Association, which leaves female police officers with few options. But our challenges go well beyond isolated or rare cases. That was Toronto Police Chief Jim Raymer at a police board meeting earlier this year unveiling the Deloitte report that said some 60% of employees had witnessed or been victim to sexual harassment. This is a problem that our own membership has told us exists at various levels, including management levels of the organization, and it's un unacceptable. A problem one officer says in a new complaint she faced firsthand. She has been sexually harassed. She was assaulted by a male officer, punched in the chest. Lawyer Angelo Shaka says it wasn't just from colleagues in the Toronto Police Service, but also from her association. The complaint says the Toronto Police Association let her rack up about $45,000 in legal fees to fight for compensation in a related injury claim, fees that would have been paid for male colleagues. The applicant states that the reason for the TPA's neglect, non-responsiveness, bad faith and arbitrary decision-making arises from the culture documented in the Deloitte report, the application says. The applicant is female, a member of the Baha'i religion and of Iranian descent. And the majority of the members are white and male. And that's an issue when it's female members and racialized members were the ones bringing forward the complaints. CTV News isn't identifying the officer as she fears more harassment. That duty of fair representation complaint joining two others, including that of Constable Heather McWilliam, who said over years she faced sexually charged comments from people in association positions. One sexual assault, another representative propositioned her for sex, and her career sidelined when she turned them down. Ontario law says employees in unions or associations must turn to them for help. Not an option here, lawyers say. The problem with the union is that the officer that was sexually harassing and sexually assaulting Constable McWilliam was also a member of the union. I think if you want a different outcome, you actually need a different system. Shaka has asked the provincial government to change the law and let female officers take their employer or their association directly to court. 
Through all this, the TPA has said it is not discriminating against anyone and handles many complaints without any issues. Now, we did take a Shekha's concerns to the Ministry of Labour, who tells us they're going to review the law and see what they can do. Reporting live, I'm John Woodward. Back to you. All right. Thank you, John. And if you have a story idea for CTV News Investigates, please let us know. You can email investigate at ctv.ca or visit our website for more secure and anonymous ways to get in touch. A major scientific breakthrough and a potential huge step in the fight against climate change, harnessing the power of the sun to produce clean energy. That's coming up. Investigations of sexual misconduct in the Canadian Armed Forces is being taken out of the military's hands. Criminal code sexual offences should be removed from the jurisdiction of the Canadian Armed Forces and that they should be prosecuted exclusively in civilian courts. But military officials say they've already had trouble implementing a similar demand over the past year. Civilian authorities accepted 57 cases but declined 40 others that ended up being investigated by military police. The transfer of cases was one of 48 recommendations in a report by retired Supreme Court Justice Louise Arbour. The government is accepting all of them. A Canadian cardinal is suing a woman for defamation after she accused him of sexual assault. Cardinal Malquillette has filed a $100,000 lawsuit in Quebec Superior Court. The head of the Vatican's bishop's office is seeking damages for injury to his reputation and dignity. Wallet says he experienced significant psychological anguish since the allegations became public. The unnamed woman accused him of inappropriate touching on four occasions in the late 2000s. Canada's trade minister has been found to have broken conflict of interest rules. In 2020, Mary Ng's office awarded a $17,000 contract to a public relations firm co-founded by one of her friends. Federal Ethics Commissioner Mario Dion concluded the minister violated a section of the Conflict of Interest Act by failing to recuse herself from the decision. The company also received a contract in 2019. Ng has since apologized and says she accepts full responsibility for her actions. Canada is providing more assistance to Ukraine as a daunting winter approaches. Ottawa is giving $115 million to a World Bank project to help rebuild the country's power grid. A series of Russian airstrikes have targeted critical civilian infrastructure. The money was collected from tariffs on Russian and Belarusian products. Today's announcement was made at an international donor conference in France where $1 billion was raised. Game one of the World Cup semifinals is in the books. And it is the end of the line for the 2018 runner-up. Lionel Messi embraces his moment again. Croatia falls to Argentina 3-0. Star striker Lionel Messi netted the game's first goal and the squad never looked back. Croatia surprised many analysts by making it this far in the tourney. But Messi and company proved too much on this day as his dream of hoisting a first championship stays intact. And that game probably distracting a lot of people across the GTA during regular work hours today. And tomorrow will likely be no different for fans with the other semi on tap, especially on College Street. And that's where we find CTV's Mike Walker tonight. Mike. Well, Nathan and Michelle, we joined a large group of Argentina soccer fans, many who booked the afternoon off from work to watch this semifinal matchup. And tonight they are celebrating as Argentina advances to the World Cup final for the sixth time. Now, when the final whistle blew, many fans watching at Cafe Diplomatico 
at On College were ecstatic, some jumping out of their seats and celebrating. And despite the tough loss, Croatian fans told us they are still proud of their country's performance in the tournament. As for Argentina, those fans now feeling pretty optimistic about their chances at winning a third championship. The last time Argentina won the World Cup was in 1986. And for superstar Lionel Messi, who is 35, this could be his final opportunity to try and win soccer's biggest prize. Here's more from fans. But I'm not surprised, honestly. Uh, Argentina has been very composed. Uh, they deserve to be, if there's any team, they deserve to be on the finals. And especially Messi's being the last World Cup, they absolutely do deserve to be a final. I think Messi deserve it. And I hope so, you know, this is going to be his last World Cup and he gained the trophy on his end. Um, it would be a good look for him. I'd be happy for him to see him, you know, go on to win the World Cup, especially going into his retirement. Croatia is a small country and to be in the top four is an honor. So they still get to play for third place. They have a shot. Maybe they'll even play France and get even. Yep. So confident. They're such a good Reliving team. Reliving 86 right now. <laughs> such a great team. Now Argentina will play the winner in the other semifinal. That is France versus Morocco. That goes tomorrow. The World Cup final is set for Sunday. Reporting live, I'm Mike Walker. Nathan, back to you. All right. Thank you, Mike. The Leafs will try to extend their winning streak tonight when they host the Anaheim Ducks. Toronto's coming off a 5-4 overtime win against Calgary Saturday, while the Ducks have lost back-to-back -back games. The Leafs have not lost a game in regulation time since November 11th. Puck drop is set for 7 tonight. Coming up, should school zone speed limits be bumped up after hours? The effort to eliminate what one counselor calls a cash grab on Mississauga roads. Tonight, Pat Foran coming up on Consumer Alert. A Whitby man was in a car accident last year and was shocked to get a bill eight months later for almost $40,000. He's been told he has to pay to repair the hydro pole he hit, even though he had car insurance. All of my reports, that story is just ahead. By this time tomorrow, a Colorado low will be knocking on our door. Here's what to expect. Heavy, wet snow, rain or mixed precipitation in some areas, strong winds and likely a hazardous commute Thursday evening and maybe Friday morning as well. A detailed look at your weather forecast is coming up and stay with us. We've got another full night of great shows for you right here on CTV. Getting into a serious car accident can be a traumatic experience. And a Whitby man says after he recovered, he was shocked to get a surprise bill. Eight months after his crash, he's been told he has to pay for the hydro pool he smashed, even though he had car insurance. Pat Forian has the story on Consumer Alert. Pat. Thanks, Michelle and Nathan. You must have car insurance to drive in Ontario. And if you hit something, you probably think your policy would cover the damages. It's why a Whitby man was shocked to be told he owes almost $40,000 to repair a hydro pool or it goes to collections tomorrow. It's almost unbelievable, to be honest with you. Siddiqui Simpson of Whitby feels lucky to be alive following a horrific car crash in September of last year that left him hospitalized and needing surgery. He struck a utility pole, and while his insurance company paid him for his car, eight months later he got a bill from Alexicon Energy. I slid off the road and hit a utility pole, and they wanted me to uh, 
pay for the damages that were done to the pole and the repair costs. Simpson received a notification of collection that says he owes almost $38,000 to repair the hydro pole he hit. He was told to please forward payment in full to us before December 14th. I think that that's the main reason why you have insurance so when things like this, Lord forbid, happen, that um, they take care of it. Simpson says he's been trying to deal with his insurer, TD Insurance, and Alexicon, but no one is resolving the issue, and he's being told to pay up. I have trouble sleeping at night. It's something that's a very, very daunting. CTV News reached out to the Insurance Bureau of Canada, and they said typically if you're involved in an accident with a hydro pole, a guardrail, or a stop sign, your insurance company should cover the damages. CTV News contacted both Alexicon and TD Insurance. Alexicon told us TD Insurance has issued a check for the amount owing. As soon as the check is received, this matter will be closed. Then TD Insurance told us, although this is an isolated claims experience, we are using it as a clear opportunity to review our processes as we support our customers in their moments of need. Now the bill is paid. Simpson said he is relieved, but feels he deserves an apology for the undue stress caused after his accident. And Simpson said, well, he's glad the hydro pole issue is now resolved. He says the unpaid bill also caused him to have credit problems over the past year and prevented him from buying another car. On your side, I'm Pat Foran. If you have a consumer story idea, email us at alert at ctv.ca. Either pay now to make Ontario's infrastructure more resistant to climate change or pay a much bigger price later. That's the warning in a report from the province's Financial Accountability Office. CTV's Queen's Park reporter Siobhan Morris has the details. What we used to call a hundred-year storm is becoming common, putting pressure on underground systems never designed to channel this much water. I think people take generally take for granted linear storm and wastewater infrastructure really until it doesn't work. Ontario's Financial Accountability Office says more severe rain will add $6.2 billion to the cost of maintaining storm and wastewater systems through 2030. And when you combine that with the work they've already done on the threats to transportation infrastructure and to buildings, we're looking at an additional cost of $26.2 billion just this decade alone. It's a matter of pay more to make infrastructure more climate change resistant or pay big for damages later. By proactively adapting linear storm and wastewater infrastructure to withstand the more extreme rainfall, we know it'll add between about $71 billion by the year 2100. That's if emissions don't spike. The gap between being proactive and doing nothing doesn't look huge. It's $17 billion. But those numbers don't tell the whole story. When you don't adapt your infrastructure, then you leave it vulnerable to things like overland flooding as a result of the infrastructure not being able to get the water out of there. Most cities do have long-term plans to deal with flooding. But finding the finances to do it when we're facing many other economic challenges is a hard thing to do because it's underground, it's out of sight. A spokesperson for the Minister of the Environment, Conservation and Parks says the government is working on a manual to help people prevent and prepare for flooding. They've also put up $25 million to proactively improve infrastructure. But it doesn't have to all be about bigger sewer systems. Protect the nature that protects us for literally no cost. Safeguarding the green belt and wetlands. We can make 
pavement more porous, like so a parking lot doesn't have to be asphalt like a highway. To give water a place to go to reduce the risk of wading through our streets. Siobhan Morris, CTV News. Let's talk about the forecast. We had some snow Sunday. It was kind of cute. Not a lot of traffic <laughs> on the roads, but things are going to be different Thursday. Even worse. And it did cause some problems, right? right? I mean, especially a little bit of snow. Now yeah. we're going to be expecting, you know, quite a bit more. I hope you can give us a sense of what we're in for. Yeah, I don't think anyone's going to be calling the weather cute on Thursday because <laughs> it's going to have an impact on uh, not one, but two commutes, most likely. Uh, the snow is going to be wet and heavy, which is a pain for shoveling. And not only that, but we are expecting some very strong winds during the day as well, which can reduce visibility on the roads. Some parts of southern Ontario are also going to get a little bit of mixed precipitation. Let's try and break it all down for you. Weather is brought to you by Train, the most reliable heating and cooling brand. It's hard to stop a train. Environment Canada already issuing a special weather statement in advance of this storm. So this is two days out. And as you can see, winds will be an issue in southwestern Ontario, maybe 80K gusts, 70 kilometers per hour closer to the shores of Lake Ontario. And we've also got snow in the forecast. We call this a Colorado low because that's where the low originated. But it is going to impact the Canadian prairies, northwestern Ontario, and then eventually us here in the lower Great Lakes over the next couple of days. It could also uh, trigger a bit of a severe weather outbreak stateside. Here's a look at our frontal system. So as this low inches closer to southern Ontario, we do see a lot of rain and that will be the story for southwestern Ontario. Tomorrow another nice day, mix of sun and cloud in the forecast. But then here's what happens. Thursday morning, rain for the southwest. Notice that patch of pink. That's a little bit of mixed precipitation or perhaps even freezing rain for London over toward Hamilton and into Niagara perhaps. In the city of Toronto, it's looking more likely that we are going to get the heavy wet snow that's by late morning and right through the middle part of the day it continues into the evening hours so there's our Thursday afternoon and evening commute not looking so ideal and then notice how the snow just continues we're tapping into a lot of gulf moisture as well as some cold air from the north that's bringing us rounds of snow especially in eastern sections of Ontario Oshawa right through to Ottawa this is where we see the most significant snowfall amounts and we'll talk about that right now in fact I do think that this particular model run is a little bit conservative, a little bit on the low end of snow. I think it's likely that we could pick up about 10 centimeters of snow in the GTA. Some areas could see even more than that. And then up to 20 or 25 centimeters of snow is going to be possible to our north and to our east. Overnight tonight, our temperature drops to minus 7, wind chill of minus 12, partly cloudy skies and relatively light northeasterly winds. Again, the winds are going to be stronger by this time tomorrow and then certainly into the day on Thursday. Minus two degrees for the daytime high tomorrow. Mix of sun and cloud. It's a pretty nice day. The calm before the storm, if you will, because Thursday will be snowy. It will be windy. Our daytime high is two degrees, so that's technically warm enough for some areas right along the shoreline of Lake Ontario to get some rain mixing in as well. Friday is generally speaking a calmer day, but we're still expecting some lingering flurries. The weekend is quieter. Minus three for the high on Saturday. Hopefully some peaks of sun but mostly cloudy skies and still a chance of flurries on Sunday. That's your look at the weather for now. And here's your reminder that the CTV Toy Mountain campaign is in its final week. We have another special little message tonight. This one from Mississauga. Hello, Mayor Bonnie Crombie here, proudly extending my support for the 27th annual Toy Mountain campaign to support the Salvation Army by collecting new unwrapped toys for families in need. Every toy 
donated in December will put a smile on a child's face and help to brighten the holidays for struggling families. You can donate to the Salvation Army at 3173 Cothra Road in Mississauga or find another location that is accepting donations at toymountain.ca. I hope that those who are able can help spread a little holiday cheer this year. And a huge thank you from us to everyone helping build Toy Mountain this year. The campaign wraps up this Friday, December 16th. Nathan and Michelle, over to you. Thank you, Lindsay. Well, drivers in Mississauga have a bit of a speeding problem, but it may not be what you think. Some are complaining about getting dinged in school zones during the after hours, and they're hoping for a plan that focuses on policy and not policing. CTV Sean Lethong explains. When it comes to speed limits and community safety zones, one Mississauga counselor says it may be best to have two different limits. Wanting to have safer uh, streets, uh, not wanting to have a cash grab. Ward 1 counselor Stephen Dasko says that the current speed limit, 30 kilometers per hour, doesn't make sense when students are not around. I want to make sure that we're targeting the right, the, the right thing. Proposed at council this past week and getting support from Ward 4 counselor John Kovac, Dasko would like to see the current speed limit of 30 remain from 6 a.m. to 7 p.m., but after 7 p.m. have limits raised to 40 kilometers per hour. And I say 6 a.m. to 7 p.m. because I'm taking into account extracurricular activities and people playing in parks and things of that nature. Speaking to some parents outside of one Mississauga school, many were concerned over having two limits. To have like a certain limit during certain hours and then certain limit after hours, I think it's very confusing. Doesn't seem like it's that big a deal if uh, people are just doing you know 40 in a place where there's no kids I think it creates bad habits in the community because people would flaunt the 30. My opinion that's a terrible idea like we have the speed camera up on uh, John Street there by the Credit River and that seemed to get people to slow down a lot because there's a camera gives people tickets it's been awesome. The council are saying that automatic speed enforcement is part of the issue and that raising the speed limits when students aren't around could help public buy-in. There are two speed enforcement cameras in school zones for each ward in Mississauga that are active any hour of the day. Councillor Dasko says some stories he's been told have stuck out. Driving home at 11 p.m. and uh, received a ticket in the mail a short while after uh, for doing 38 kilometers in a school zone. City staff will create a report which is expected to be delivered in the new year. We contacted Mayor Bonnie Crombie's office and in a statement they said, the mayor is awaiting the contents of the report to determine if such a change is in the best interest of the community and will vote accordingly. The report is expected in the first quarter of 2023. Sean Lee CTV News. Also tonight, COVID vaccine hesitancy associated with an increased risk of traffic accidents. But a Sunnybrook Hospital researcher discovered when he dug into the data. We have some new research to share with you from Sunnybrook tonight that is sure to spark debate. It suggests people who refuse the vaccine have a higher chance of getting into a traffic accident. Our health reporter Pauline Chan explains. The study looked at 10 million Ontario adults and more than 6,000 traffic accidents. I've looked after many patients hospitalized with COVID and many other patients hospitalized because of traffic crashes. And I've been struck by the similarities between the two groups. 
Dr. Donald Redelmeyer works in both the hospital wards and the emergency department at Sunnybrook. Our theory is that on adults who, uh, who do not follow public health recommendations may also not follow the rules of the road. Redelmeyer says there are also increased traffic risks for other groups such as young men and adults with sleep apnea, but the risk associated with vaccine hesitancy was significantly higher. Second only to the risk associated with a diagnosis of alcohol misuse. Exactly how big an increase in risk is there for the COVID unvaccinated? It's about a 72 percent increase in risk. For perspective, the average adult during the average year has about a 2% a chance of a traffic crash. And so a 72% relative increase bumps it up over 3%. Dr. Redelmeyer says he's already received some negative responses to his study, sometimes laced with expletives, but he says he doesn't want unvaccinated people to feel persecuted, just to be careful about their exposure to COVID-19 and traffic dangers. Still, he thinks encouragement for vaccinations might be warranted. Might be a wise maneuver if automobile insurance companies get involved and they decide to give a 5% discount for, for individuals who've got proof of vaccination. Pauline Chan, CTV News. Every year, Forbes magazine releases its top 30 under 30 list in several categories. This year, a multifaceted man from Scarborough made the list in the field of education. CTV's Andrea uh, Case caught up with Curtis Carmichael. But what did he have to say? Michelle and Nathan, good evening. And yes, viewers, we're all wearing great today, but we did not coordinate. Curtis Carmichael's story is an incredible one. From drug dealer to author and now educator, Carmichael is proud of where he came from, and he knows where he is going. Curtis Carmichael was considering a career in the CFL when he pivoted. I was supposed to go pro to play football. And then when I moved back to my neighborhood, I started to realize, like, I want to have a long-term impact and be less known rather than have a short-term impact and be well-known as an athlete. So I quit. But when I got back to my neighborhood, I'm like, okay, what now? So then the neighborhood said, hey, we're closing our after-school program. Could he raise us 100K? I'm like, I'll ride across the country because, you know, when you come from where we come from, you got to make some noise. He raised $100,000 in 60 days, which put him on a new career trajectory. As a child growing up in Regent Park and then Scarborough, his life reads like a book, and he has written one. So in that story, covers drug dealing, doing drops, uh, when the police raided my crib, when um, a house was lit on fire by arson, um, different people in my neighborhood died away from gun violence. I lost 20 people within one year when I was 11. He says opportunity is not universal, but talent is. Today, he is a speaker to kids from kindergarten to grade 12. You've heard of STEM programs. His is called STEAM. Science, technology, engineering, arts, and mathematics. STEM has been used as a colonial tool. So STEM has been used in a way to uphold our current systems. Arts is the human grounding of STEM. So essentially what the arts does, it allows us to put humanity first he says 1% of venture capital in America goes to black people. So he's teaching kids not just careers, but ownership of the infrastructure. How do we teach kids to create their own operating system, to create their own robotics hardware, to create their own AI companies? This year, the 29-year-old made the Forbes top 30 under 30 list in the field of education. His goal is always to remind kids no matter where you come from, success is possible. 
Carmichael is now working on a brick-and-mortar location for his STEAM program. A look for that in the new year, as well as a new fundraising campaign. Now, between now and then, of course, he's training for a marathon, and, of course, he's heading to New York City tomorrow for the Forbes ceremony. Reporting for CTV News, I'm Andrea Case. Stars Tonight is brought to you by Lastman's Bad Boy. Who's better? Nobody. It was okay. It wasn't busy. It was very easy to go through the immigration. It was good. I think it was great this morning. It's quite seamless. Updating our top stories, no issues for passengers at Pearson as the airport prepares for the busy holiday travel season. It's introduced several digital tools in an effort to avoid delays. The firefighters this morning uh, literally fought their way down uh, through a hallway without any visibility. Uh, we're coming across individuals in the hallway that were trying to self-evacuate. One person is dead and two others injured following a fire in Cabbage Town. Flames broke out this morning in a building attached to the All Saints Church on Dundas. Argentina has been very composed. Uh, they deserve to be, if there's any team, they deserve to be on the finals. And especially Messi is being the last World Cup. Argentina's booked a spot in the World Cup final with a win over Croatia. They will now await the winner of France and Morocco, who play tomorrow. As retailers grapple with high inflation, there's another concern weighing on them this holiday season. As CTV's Raheem Ladani reports, it costs more than just the businesses. As holiday shoppers search stores for great deals, retailers also have their eyes out for those hunting for an illegal discount. Just with the demand of different avenues that people can now sell goods through social media, uh, that there's a, a higher uh, report of organized retail crime, so larger thefts. Last week, Halton police dismantled a retail theft ring. More than $2 million in stolen goods were recovered. From electronics to power tools and beauty supplies, police arrested 11 people. Some shoppers feel the pressure of the holidays, along with the inflated Canadian economy, are adding to crime. Some people are really struggling, so they're desperate, so maybe that's what they, they resort to, unfortunately. Retail giant Walmart recently announced it may start shutting down stores because it's losing $3 billion a year in the United States alone due to stealing. But customers suspect a modern feature is partly to blame. When they started with the self-checkout, it obviously seemed like this is going to lead to a theft problem. Right, especially now without bags and, and things, you know, people just kind of walk out with something, right? And you feel like you need to be holding up the receipt as you leave just to prove that you bought it. Security experts say there's also been an increase in violent thefts, but suggest one way to help security guards protect themselves without added risk. The incidents go down dramatically when body-worn cameras are involved. Because Big Brother is watching. They'll think twice because a charge of theft is one thing, but a charge of theft with assault uh, is a little bit different. However, with these added protections, it's the honest shoppers who may end up paying the price. And if you think about the extra costs that retailers are taking upon themselves to add on guards and everything else, uh, at some point to stay viable, the price of goods has to go up. Showing that retail theft is not a victimless crime. Raheem Ladani, CTV News. Just ahead, a potential game changer in the quest for limitless clean energy with the potential to transform the future.
Imagine an unlimited energy supply without harming the planet. As CTV's John Venavalli Rao explains, we are one step closer to that reality after a major advance in fusion research. In a slick promotional video, you can see the building in California where history happened. Where scientists at a lab managed to take a giant step towards a decades-long dream of producing limitless clean fusion energy using the very same process that powers the sun. It's the first time it has ever been done in a laboratory anywhere in the world. Simply put, this is one of the most impressive scientific feats of the 21st century. A feat unlike what happens in a nuclear plant of today, where heavy atoms are split to create energy. Instead, scientists fired almost 200 lasers at a cylinder about the size of a pencil eraser. Inside, they fused or pushed together hydrogen atoms by making it hotter than the heart of the sun and compressing them, creating a burst of energy. Indeed, they shot a bunch of lasers at a pellet of fuel and more energy was released from that fusion ignition than, than the energy of the lasers going in. And that's the key. Scientists got out 50% more energy than they put in. The first time, there's been a meaningful gain. And while it wasn't much energy, it's a remarkable leap forward. Using this technology, theoretically, you could take a liter of seawater out, out of the ocean and get 300 times more energy from that than you get from a liter of gasoline. And there would be no CO2 going into the atmosphere. So the promise of this technology is infinitely better than anything we have right now. With fusion, there's no worries about meltdowns or nuclear waste. It's taken billions of dollars for researchers to get to this point. And there's a lot more work to be done to power a city. Still, they're now convinced many alive today will, in their lifetimes, have access to abundant, cheap, and clean energy. Who knows? Perhaps by mid-century, there could be a fusion reactor in your neighborhood. Clean, efficient. Creating fusion reactors has been called one of the most significant technical challenges ever undertaken by humankind. A dream that now seems to be within reach. John Benavalli Rao, CTV News, Toronto. While they work to ramp that up, we want to get you caught up on what's heading our way in a few days' time. Yes, so one more look at the special weather statement. And this special weather statement is talking about snow around the GTA in eastern Ontario, but also talking about some very strong winds in the southwest. So here's what it looks like. It's a widespread special weather statement. We'll see if any warnings get issued over the next couple of days. A chilly night ahead once again. It's going to feel into the minus double digits. A nice day tomorrow. The calm before the storm. Get outside and enjoy it here. Here is your seven-day forecast. Yeah, it's going to snow on Thursday, and flurries follow us into Friday, perhaps the weekend as well. Nathan and Michelle. All right, thank you, Lindsay. Be sure to join Omar Sachedina tonight at 11 for CTV National News, followed by Zoraida Allman with our next local newscast at 11.30. In the meantime, our coverage continues anytime on CP24 and online at ctvnewstoronto.ca. For Lindsay Morrison and all of us at CTV News, thank you for watching and have a good night.